Downtown New York is where the game's next generation of stars came together recently to promote one of the most talked about events of the year, the next-gen ATP Finals in Milan. It's very important to be, uh, you know, promoting the next-gen finals. It's pretty good, you know, we've been through a couple photo shoots, a couple uh, group photos also. Uh, I think we all get along pretty well. Uh, you know, we've been playing juniors together. We all have fun uh, when we meet each other, so it's a, it's a pretty good group. Most of the young guys get along really well. You know, there are so many good players. You know, you have Suarez, which has been like top 10 already for over years. He's maybe taking it to another level. He's uh, someone I guess everybody from the next gen looks up to and uh, tries to learn from. And you know, you have Tsitsipas now having his breakthrough. He's almost top 10 as well. And it's a very good group of guys. And of course, you want to try to establish yourself uh, with those, uh, those guys as well in the future. We really just want to make a name for ourselves and show the world that we actually belong here. Great to have these guys, you know, pushing each other and competing at a very high level. I think they're all like pretty good physically. They're good, uh, pretty tall too. So, you know, it's, I think it's exciting. I think fans are, are actually uh, liking it because we're going through an exciting time. Yeah. Very tough and there's so many uh, top young players at the moment doing extremely well. But yeah, I'm just trying my best and trying to move forward up on, up on the ranks. Those the words of world number 15, Stefanos Tsitsipas, Denis Shapovalov, the world number 34, Felix Auger-Aliassim, Kasper Ruud, Alex Deminor and Lloyd Harris. And with just six weeks to go and seven qualifying places still up for grabs in the race to Milan, this week we are all about next gen. The players and of course the innovations that took the game by storm last year and are being tweaked again this year by the organisers. I'm Seb Lozier and speaking of the ATP, I spoke with their tournament director Ross Hutchins recently and we started by looking back on last year's inaugural event. It was a big risk for the ATP to do something. It was something which we really wanted to try and innovate and try something new. The sport is in a really strong place in global sports as it, as it comes from the ATP side of things. And uh, we have amazing players, fantastic tournaments, great promoters, really strong brand at the moment. But we wanted to try something different in Milan while, whilst we're in a very strong place. And that was what the intention was. And we wanted to create two things. We wanted to promote the players and innovate with new rules and different formats. And that's what we did. And during the time, it's tough to realize or understand whether it was successful as it was going on, but we could see the numbers of the TV were very high, the social engagement was very high, the talking points and the referencing of, of what we were trying to achieve was, was sky high as well in the lead up to our NITO ATP final. So it was a perfect blend between the two tournaments of which the ATP own and, and, and control along with our Italian partners here. So. It, it worked very well at the time, but then what was fascinating was afterwards was the reaction. Because that's really, even though people might say, well, it doesn't matter, it was a success, it matters to me and it matters to us. So I think the reaction was staggering. A lot of people enjoyed the rules. They loved seeing these next-gen next players. The players warmed to it and, and we saw how, how well they performed at the start of 2018. The players warmed to it so well, the media warmed to it so well, and our promoters on tour and our tournament members are already talking about, can we use this going forward because it just worked. So that was where the feedback was really exciting over that first period. And then it kicks into, right, let's now get 2018 even better. And that's where we are here. You mentioned the players. I wanted to ask you about you know, the platform that it's given them. And some of them obviously have gone on and done great things already. In your chief player role as well, though, what, what was the feedback from the players to the event? Well, the, first of all, they acknowledged of what our intention was, which was actually to, why not try something? We have 63 tournaments throughout the year doing the same formats, and then we have you know, the, our, our other tournaments throughout the year on the Challenger circuit doing the same format. So therefore, why not try one over five days in a new event, which is a promotional platform and a big stage in Milan, to try different format? And that's where the players understood, and that's what was brilliant. They were hugely supportive of the intention, they were hugely supportive of many of the rules. Always you're going to have in, athlete, athlete, in athletics, but in, in sports with athletes, that they are going to prefer some than others. And I think when it comes to growing up in the sport, you're always very traditional with playing to six, playing best of three or best of five sets, playing a normal tie break, normal changeovers, very static crowds who enjoy good tennis. And therefore the scoring one was probably the most, most 
difficult to get their head around, but actually when they performed and played in it, it was actually like, well actually I can see how this works. Being, being engrossed in the atmosphere and playing, it's, it's quite difficult to, to play the format when you haven't played it before because suddenly you're, you go a breakdown to go 2-1 and you're almost at the end of a set. Whereas current, current system, you have time to get back into the set. But then you've got to perform well at the start of the second set. And for me, it was, it was a real appreciation of, well, the matches were really exciting. They were really intense. It was a great understanding of what, what was intended. And having these five set matches and having these amazing spectacles where the players, two all in the fifth, you can actually say that, and it doesn't go on three, four, five hours. It just worked and they play back to back days and they're able to do that without complaining about fatigue because it is physical when you normally play a long five set match. So I think it worked very, very well in what we tried and that was a great acknowledgement, but it will take more than just these eight players playing a couple of matches each, or Hang Chung played five matches, but most of them played just the group stage matches to then buy into whether they are sold on whether it works or not. And in terms of the quality of the player actually playing in it, the expectation was that, you know, these players might be ranked 200 to 300 in the world when they get to Milan. And actually what you have this year probably is half of the field in the top 50 in the world. And Hyun Chung, case in point, incredible what he's gone on to do. Well, he's one of many. Hyun Chung is a, is a, is a testament to the system of, of personally himself performing well and using it as a platform to, to move forward from whether it be quarterfinals of Masters 1000, semifinals of Grand Slams, semifinals of tour events, and he's getting started. He's won an event last year and now he's just moved on onto a different platform. So he's risen up the rankings very well. It's become natural to him because he actually has won on a huge stage, which he hadn't done before. He'd won challenger events, he'd won tour event matches, but he'd won a major event. And then straight away in the new year, he was able to build on that platform and feel at home and feel comfortable because that was his place. And it, and it often needs something like a platform like that for players to move forward. So other players as well, they've really used it as a platform to, to, to move forward. But he's been, I guess, the easiest example for us to highlight because he was the champion of that event. And for 2018, we're likely to see, I guess, three or four of the same players again, but there will undoubtedly, obviously, be new players. In terms of what they're playing and the format, can we expect a lot of the same um, in terms of the trials and the variations in just a few tweaks? Absolutely, and that, that's been key for us is that it was an intentional strategy behind it not to chop and change year to year because people would not have any consistency or fluency with what the intentions of the sport is. So if you suddenly were to, to tear up the book and, and go with the new rules this year, you never actually get enough data or knowledge or feedback from key people in the game and the fans of whether you actually enjoy it or not because 15 matches is not enough. There's more matches in a single week uh, from a, a normal tour event than there was at the whole of the next gen ATP finals of where we tested something. So we need more time to, to look at it. So there will be uh, very similar rules to last year. We will reduce the warm up even more from five minutes now down to four minutes. And we'll also include a rule where the player is not able to receive the towel from the ball boy or ball girl. They have a towel area at the back of the court in order to try and try and go to the towel area to, to have a, a moment of peace, I guess. And it, it's for many reasons that we think that we come up with these rules from our personal thinking, but also what people around the game would like to see. And it's often been a point of conversation about players receiving towels from ball kids. And we think that this is a good time to experiment with something new and to try and see if it can work and, and almost well, how would it look and how would it work? And this is the perfect place to do it. So more innovation, but who will be swinging the rackets? So far, only Sasha Zverev has qualified Last year, the German opted not to play in Milan to concentrate all of his efforts on the Nito ATP finals at London's O2. It is heating up for the seven qualifying spots, with the eighth and final place going to a wild card. Last year's alternate in Milan has taken centre stage this year. Stefanos Tsitsipas, number two in the race this year so far, and ATP World Tour Uncovered's Justin Gimmelstob recently met with the Greek star, who's already famed for one shot in particular. Well, we're very fortunate today to have one of the fastest rising stars in men's tennis, Stefano Tsitsipas. And Stefano is unique in the fact that he has a beautiful one-handed backhand at a time when there's so many incredible two-handers. Why did you choose to use a one-handed backhand? 
I chose it uh, from a very young age. I was in between, I didn't know what to choose exactly. I was playing both two-handed backhand and one-handed backhand. And uh, I came to a final decision with my coach that one-handed backhand fits me most. That's how it started. You mentioned your coach, so I know that your dad has been a huge influence and a coach of yours. And both your dad and mother have a one-handed backhand. How big of a part of the decision was it knowing they had one-handed backhands that you wanted one as well? I remember I was very young and I was hanging around the court. I remember a couple of times playing with them, with both of my parents, and uh, I saw that they played with one-handed backhand. At that time also I was watching Roger Federer on TV. He was my idol since then, you know, and I wanted to copy him and I decided after practicing I came to the conclusion that uh, one-handed backhand fits me more. Stefano, we see so many two-handed backhands, but what are some of the advantages of having a one-handed backhand? One of them is switching from slice to uh, one-handed backhand, and it helps me a lot with my angles uh, on the court. It's, it's something unusual, not many players play that shot, and I'm, I'm lucky to be one of them. What is your one-handed backhand grip, and why does it help you execute the power backhand so effectively? I have a certain backhand grip which helps me, you know, be aggressive. It helps me open the court, lay down the line, which is my favorite shot. It helps me a lot also on the slice, from switching uh, slice to one-handed backhand. And also, I don't have uh, extreme grips. It's easy from switching uh, to, the, to the forehand side, from the backhand side uh, fast, and I can save time like that. Can I see the grip? So here it is. That's my... So that'd be more like a semi-western, semi, so that gives you a nice strong yeah, leverage on the backhand? That's right. I've also noticed watching you play that for a one-handed backhand, you have the ability to take it a lot earlier than even some of your peers, even some of the great one-handers in the game, especially off the return. Do you attribute that to your grip, your timing, your technique, or just your overall one-handed backhand skill? I think it has to do with everything. Uh, I think it's also confidence when you feel that uh, your one-hand backhand is, you feel well with it and you feel that you can go for it. Unlimited, you know, ways to play it. One of them is to take it early. One of them is, you know, to stay back and uh, have more time think about your shot. What about the backhand down the line? I've noticed your desire and ability to really go for the backhand down the line to finish points. How important of a shot is that in current men's tennis? It's actually, I believe, very important because most of the players tend to stay and take uh, inside out forehands and, the, and they leave the down the line open very often. So this shot helps a lot, you know, to be able to open the court to their backhand side or if he's a lefty to their forehand side. And then on the next cross, Confuse your opponent by playing a down-the-line shot, get him out of his position, you know. Thank you for spending some time with us today on ATP World Tour Uncovered, and it's great to know that the one-handed backhand is in good shape with the next generation. Very much so, and another of the best single-handers in the game also belongs to a next-gen. 19-year-old Canadian Denis Shapovalov, currently third in the race to Milan and still improving all the time. I'm working on a lot of things. I think still uh, the thing I can improve most is uh, my fighting spirit, my mentally, my mental toughness. I feel like uh, I have some good matches where I'm just out there fighting for every point, and uh, that's usually when I get those tough wins. So uh, it's about doing that every day, and uh, as well on the court, I'm really trying to improve my game. Certain aspects of it, I can still really, really improve. And uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a long journey. I'm only 19, uh, you know, first full year on tour. So uh, for me, it's really exciting. I remember last year, I was a little bit nervous. I didn't feel like I fit in at the end of the year. So, and I got pretty homesick, so that was tough for me. This year, I feel ready for the challenge. I feel like I belong with all these players. So I'm really comfortable with these tournaments. And uh, yeah, I'm just excited to, to play them and uh, you know, do what I dreamed of doing, playing, playing the tour. We've seen Martin Luandro has been part of your team. I think your mom's here with you this week. Just detail sort of your coaching setup right now, and your mom's been so instrumental in your game for a very long time. Definitely. I think my mom is, uh, has been a huge impact in my, obviously, my career. I mean, if, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be holding up a racket, and uh, I definitely wouldn't have gone this far in my, in my career. So, you know, it's a big thanks to her, and uh, obviously her and Marty are doing an incredible job, and they kind of swap out from week in, week out, you know, when Marty needs a couple weeks off, my mom comes in, so it's a, it's a really good dynamic we have going on, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good change sometimes. Um, just seeing a different view, different eye, it's, uh, it's always good. You've been coming up with this sort of next-gen ATP guys for a while now, but when you look at recent success for Stefano Sissipas, mm -hmm. Francis Tiafo, Sasha Zverev, also for Felix Auger-Aliassime, mm -hmm. who's done really well for Canada, does that motivate you, seeing those results, or how do you sort of bounce off seeing what they're doing, but also, as you're saying, trying to just focus on getting your game better? Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's kind of a motivation booster, you know. Uh, obviously, we wish the, West, the best for each other. Mm -hmm. You know, me, Francis, Felix, we're all really close friends. 
So, uh, you know, obviously I love it when, when they have a good result, but it also motivates me to get back on the work and, uh, you know, try to keep up with, uh, with, his result, with their results and uh, try to challenge them. So it's, uh, it's good, you know, going both ways. I'm sure they do the same. And uh, I feel like me and Felix have been actually pushing each other like this for, for a couple of years. So uh, I think it's really healthy for us and uh, for, yeah, for the sport. Snapping at the Canadians' heels is a young Australian who's been making waves all season. Alex Domino has been on a roll. Add Leighton Hewitt, former world number one to his team, and things are looking promising for the next-gen Aussie. Well, I've noticed Alex through the junior ranks, um, but I went and watched a lot of his matches when he made the run a couple of years ago at the Wimbledon Juniors, and he went all the way to the final. The one thing that really impressed me with his work ethic, it's hard when you first come on the tour and, and you've just come out of juniors and all of a sudden you're at the big stage, you're in the locker room sharing with all these top players that you've looked up to and idolised for so much of your junior career. Um, and to have that belief that you can go out there and match it with them isn't the easiest thing straight away. And, and that's the one thing I think that really took the last 12 months for Alex Alex to actually believe that he belongs here um, and I think we're starting to see the results you know pay dividends now. Yeah it's been huge you know I've had uh, that outside help you know really telling me to believe in myself and you know believe in my abilities and just pretty much leaving it all out there. I think that now every time I step out on court you know I give it my all and I try to, to win every point. With over 600 match wins and 30 tour-level titles, Hewitt knows what it takes to make it on the ATP World Tour, making the Australian legend the perfect man to help out. Yeah, the one good thing about Alex, I think he has an open mind, so he's kind of like a sponge as well, which is, yeah, it, it's good to work with those kind of players. You know, he goes out there, he competes all the time, he gives 100% on practice court, on the match court, uh, in the pre-season. I think that was a big, big reason why he's had the pre-season he had and the build-up as well in Australia. I think that sort of came in stages as well. He got his first opportunity to play um, in the Grand Slam at the Australian Open and play over five sets and, and be around the tour players uh, for a few weeks. And, and I think he learnt a lot uh, just how to be professional, go about everything in absolutely the right way. Um, and we saw me big improvements there, but then you take that to a year later and then he started to get that self-belief that he could match it with the best players in the world. It shows the belief that he can be out here and play against the best players and, and I think that's going to hold him in good stead for the rest of 2018. Yeah, I mean, it's always great to hear, you know, his experiences, you know, because he's actually experienced everything there is on a tennis court. So, you know, a couple of things here and there to, to learn for myself, you know. You know, you sort of dream about things like this and, and now it's actually happening. So I'm just really... Uh, enjoying every moment of it. So, do the two Aussies see any similarities in their games? <laughs> I still think I was quicker, but uh, he, he thinks he's one of the quickest guys out there. But I know I've got a bit slower over the last 20 years, but I still uh, reckon I might have had him covered. Maybe in this prime time. <laughs> that, that was a long time ago. <laughs> this is ATP Tennis Radio. America's Francis Tiafo narrowly missed out on Milan last year, but he can only be good for this year's event, according to his coach, Robbie Ginepri. For sure. I mean, he just titled down here in Del Rey, so I think a lot of people came down to support him here. Shows a lot of charisma and grit on the court, and uh, he's very energetic and um, always happy and smiling on the court and shows a lot of passion, which is good to see in a young guy like that. What's pleasing you most about the way he's playing? Um, he's a very quick learner um, and practices, make very small adjustments that uh, go a long way. He's very eager to learn and, and get better and um, comes and gives you 120% with a good attitude and that's all I can ask for. You mentioned Delray Beach. It's a, a massive win. Uh, I mean, a breakthrough win like that for, for a young player, what does it do? Yeah, it's huge until you finally get a few wins under your belt because he's never even been to the quarterfinals besides the week before up in New York and um, got a little rocky start to the year. So um, the tennis was there just until you actually have some big wins and prove that you can do it. You always have that maybe little extra doubt in your head and until it could be done. And I think he got the monkey off his back right now and he's prime time. He admitted to me in his post-match today that uh, it almost made him a little bit of a marked man there was a hype around him all of a sudden. I guess from your perspective as his coach, is that a good thing, all part of the learning curve? 
Uh, this is just the price you pay when you're on the tour. Um, you have a lot of good wins. Expectations start to happen. Guys see what you have. Guys want you after you have some good victories like that. And, uh, you know, you have a, a, a target on your back. That's what Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray, they, all those guys did so well. They just kind of stay the course. And, um, you know, they're the hunted, not the hunted. It's part of your job just to temper the expectation around such a young player, not just for him, but everyone else, really. Yeah, it uh, just try to stay in the moment. Um, you're only as good as your last match, so keep keep everything as simple as we can and um, try to quiet all the outside noise and focus on executing your skill set when you're out there playing and the things needed to be done that you can control. You mentioned next gen. Um, Talk to me about that. He's still obviously eligible for next gen. Missed out on it last year. How big is that um, on on the calendar this year? Yeah, it's an exciting new event uh, that he just missed last year by a couple spots. Um, but uh, I think he's in pretty good contention right now to show up and, uh, and and play for it. It's just a good test to see where you are with with your peers. Just finally, I mean, his game looks good to go he's obviously he's out there he's at this level he's beating you know top guys how does he go to the next level for Francis Tierfo? just shorten the gaps um, of mental lapses out on the court um, stringing together five six seven points instead of two to three points um, you know it doesn't take a lot to separate the best in the world but those guys just stay at peak performance for a little bit longer than um, the rest of the field and TFO's support crew extends beyond the tennis to his nearest and dearest. Girlfriend Ayan Bloomfield, one very nervous spectator. I'm always fidgeting. I can't sit still. I'm very superstitious, so if he wins one point, I try not to move. I'm like, if I stay here, you can win another. Um, definitely, he's been playing so well, so we're all just really excited to see him grow. And when you're in the stands, does Francis, does he like to usually see a lot of animosity from, from you and his mom and stuff like that, or are you trying to be nice and relaxed? Well, no, I mean, obviously Francis is a really energetic person, so we just try our best to give him all the positive vibes that we can. And, I mean, we can't come to every single match, but when we do, we try to be as energetic and loud and, you know, help him through these tough matches. And so uh, we were just talking off air a little bit, trying to a little get to know you. So just let, let uh, Francis' fans and fans of yours get to know you a little bit, like how you met Francis, because you're from Toronto, actually. Um, so how did you meet Francis? Um, I mean, I played a lot of ITF juniors as well. So just, I mean, the ITF junior circuit's a great way to get to know people, friends. So, I mean, as we got older, we just kind of connected a little bit more, became really, really, really good friends. And then, of course, I mean, that's, I feel like, the best way to start a relationship, being best friends. And it just grew from that. But I've known Francis for a while now. We just... From the ITF tour. Yeah, yeah okay. from tennis. And um, we're almost three and a half years. So, I mean, it's going well. It's a really positive relationship, and I'm happy with it. And you are now playing for college. Yes. Where exactly? Uh, UCLA. I go to UCLA. I'm going into my senior year um, under Stella and Rance. They're my coaches. Um, yeah, it's great. I'm loving it. I love LA. I love the school. Everything's great. And Francis even comes to a couple of the matches sometimes. So I'm just really happy with our situation. And what, what are you majoring in? I'm majoring in political science. Political science. Yes. Okay. And so after you're done with college, you said your senior year is coming mm-hmm. up. Do you have aspirations to try and go on the pro tour as well? You know, it's funny, actually, after traveling a little bit with Francis, I see how difficult it actually is to be a professional tennis player. And there's so many things behind the scenes that you just don't even know about the, the, the work that's put in. And it's not for everybody, so I don't even think it's for me. So, I mean, it takes a really special person to come out and practice and work so hard every single day. And so those challenge, the challenges that you see all the time, right. what do you feel like is the most difficult for you to face that where you feel like it deters you from going on the tour? I just think it's, you know... The hotel room is your home, you know? You go week to week and you're in a different bed, in a different room, in a different location, and it's, you're never settled. So, I mean, to, to do this, to be a professional tennis player, you really, really, really have to want it. It's really special, and it's, just, it's really not for everybody. And so how, how often do you get to travel with Francis? Just the summer, obviously, you're in college. Yeah, the summer, sometime, I mean, last, last year we had March break off, so I went to Miami. Um, went to Paris after school it, it's not it's rare when I get to come out so when I do I try to be very present and help him as much as I can fellow American Taylor Fritz is currently number six in the race and has added Paul Anacone to his team the former coach of Pete Sampras and Roger Federer 
spoke recently with Jill Krabus. I've been really lucky. He has a great coach already in David Nankin, who's done four years of tremendous work with him. Um, David works for the USTA, and he's been guiding Taylor. And I just had conversations with um, Taylor and, and David um, and, and Taylor's agent last fall and spent a little time getting to know both of those guys. And, and for me, the biggest kind of uh, lure was the fact that David was so good at what he's doing. You know, I, I didn't really want to get involved uh, with anybody um, that uh, didn't have a good communication set up with me, that didn't have the same kind of um, coaching philosophy. And look, he's David has driven the bus, continues to drive the bus in terms of the coaching component. And I'm just an ingredient that tries to add some value. And uh, the teamwork has been tremendous. David has really helped me understand the situation extremely well. Um, Taylor, for a 20-year-old, is so um, diligent about wanting to learn and wanting to get better and understands process orientation versus the immediacy of results. We have to reel that in once in a while with a 20-year-old, as you would. Uh, but like I said, with the terrific team around him, you know, with David and his physio and uh, Matt Fawcett, his agent, he, he really, Taylor has a nice setup and he understands that it is a journey. Uh, and like I said, personally for me, because David's there doing such a great job, I get to collaborate with him and help. Um, that makes it something that I enjoy doing. Taylor has, I just saw that he has an unbelievable record in third set tie breaks 11 and 1. I mean that's incredible. I mean obviously that was something David has had a tremendous impact on but how good is Taylor at being able to handle those pressure moments? I mean that's a huge indication right yeah, there. Yeah that's one thing that I've really kind of noticed. He's one of the rare few at a young age that trusts himself in a big moment um, that understands a sense of urgency without turning that sense of urgency into a sense of pressure and panic. Uh, he trusts his skills um, and knows what he wants to try to execute in a big moment. And to me, that's a testimony to, number one, to Taylor for a 20-year-old to figure it out. But number two, it's what David's kind of ingrained the last few years. So I, I just think there's so many great seeds that have been planted. And now it's about just kind of watering them for a bit and letting him play as a 20-year-old, letting him grow. Um, because uh, the sky's the limit. He does some terrific things, has a lot of power. But look, there's a lot of great players out there and he's still a kid. Um, so there's a lot of growing and maturing to do, but it sure is a uh, encouraging landscape. Andrei Rublev is the top-ranked Russian on the list. A Grand Slam quarter-finalist, he's already had some major breakthroughs in his career. And a beautiful backhand winner to win the match for Rublev. That's the way to do it. Uh, it was 2014, so after the US Open, I played Davis Cup and then... Uh, my mom, uh, she went uh, to Mallorca with the kids for the tournament in uh, Guillermo Vilas Academy. There was a tournament with, uh, I don't know which age. So I went uh, with my mom to have uh, at least some holidays. And uh, suddenly when I, I was there, one coach from the academy, he asked me if I, if I want to hit uh, for the next couple of days with Rafa. And I said, of course I want. And then my holidays is finished and uh, I was practicing with Rafa. So I was so excited and we were practicing every day, maybe for three, no, I think for four or five days in a row. So uh, it was one practice, about two hours every day. So uh, for me, it was uh, amazing. So in the morning I was practicing with him, then I was swimming in the sea all day. So for me, it was amazing. At this age, I used to practice always uh, in Moscow. And in Moscow, there is surface ultra fast, like a super fast. So, uh, and when you go on a normal on, on normal surface, it looks so slow for, for Russian people. And it's, uh, <laughs> so for me, it was fine because I also like to hit hard and I like to hit in a fast rhythm. So for me, it was uh, amazing because we were holding the high rhythm for the long time and yeah, it was it was good. I mean, sometimes uh, he was saying something on the changeover, but I don't really <laughs> remember because it was a long time ago. But yeah, it was, it was great. To, to, to practice with him. He's such a hard worker and it's it's always pleasure to to be near to the top players to see what they how they work and of course this gives motivation. You're listening to ATP Tennis Radio. So those the stars currently in the automatic qualifying spots. What about those trying to gate crash the party? Another American, Michael Moe, is currently 15th 
and one or two good tournaments away from claiming a place. Earlier in the year in Miami, where he played so well, I spoke with him and his father, Tony, about his circuitous route to life on the tennis circuit in America. So my parents actually met in Saudi Arabia. Um, and yeah, I was born there and I lived there for 12 years. Your dad played on tour, including Davis Cup for Nigeria, is that right? Yes, uh, he got me into tennis at a very, very early age. And, um, you know, I thank him for me even playing tennis in the first place. And uh, he was a fantastic player himself. At 13, you went to Bradenton, Florida, is that right? Yes. IMG Academy. How's, yeah. how's that? We've been speaking with Nick Bollettieri this week. I mean, it was fantastic. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy Nick Bollettieri gave me the, you know, the pleasure of giving me a scholarship when I was 13 years old. And, um, you know, he's done so much for my tennis career and, you know, I couldn't thank him enough. And you're only 20, so you're a next-gen contender. Um, how, how high is that on the, the list of priorities for the year? I mean, I, I would say it's really high. I think it's a really good event. And, um, you know, to play it would be super exciting. And, you know, I, I think, you know, if you make it in there, it means you had a really good year. So um, I would love to be in there, you know, be in the mix of the next-gens. That would be fantastic. So a little while ago, we, we heard from... Michael Moe, uh, who was incredibly happy, obviously, with, with the best win of his career, he, he said, and quite understandably. He referenced in that chat how proud he was also to win in front of his, his dad, Tony, who I'm delighted to be sitting with now in the players' dining area. And Tony, I'm guessing that you're just as proud as him. Oh, I'm extremely proud of him. I mean, he, he played unbelievably well today. I'm just you know, uh, just shocked the way he played. I mean, it was a fantastic match. And you played yourself. So, I mean, what, was it always the case that Michael was going to be a tennis player? Yeah, I, you know, I, I basically discovered, you know, discovered him when he was just eight months old. I mean, I could, I mean, I rolled a ball and he stopped the ball and I said, whoa, what was that? I mean, eight, eight month old kid can stop, in fact, can stop a ball, you know, and I did it a second time. He did it again. And I said, okay, that was it. You know, and then, you know, we got involved in tennis, in soccer, in swimming, in all kinds of sports. But I, I knew he would eventually play tennis anyhow. Because Michael told us he, he's born in Saudi Arabia, which we knew, but lived there then for what, 11, 12 years. I mean, w yeah. was it easy to, uh, to become a tennis player, a young tennis player in Saudi Arabia? Well, at the time when he was born, I was, I mean, I was in Saudi as well. For sure, there's lots of tennis courts everywhere. And, you know, I worked with him in those early ages. You know, there's lots of junior players around. Also, in the, within the region, there's also junior events around. You know, from there, he came over and won the 12 and under orange ball, you know, from Saudi Arabia. I mean, so the training there was quite good as well. You know, so uh, that's how IMG discovered him and gave him scholarship to come over. Because you played Davis Cup for Nigeria and you were a tour player as well. From that moment on, was Michael always going to play in American colours, as it were? Or uh, growing up, did you think he might be a Nigerian tennis player? Well, I mean, it's, I mean, I think it was something that I did when he was born. As, as I was also, I'm also I'm an American, so he was born an American. You know, so obviously it's up to him, but I wanted him to play as American first. You know, then if he decided to go play for Nigeria or play for Ireland or play for Australia, I mean, that's a chance he, he could make, yeah. And how often do you get to, to watch him on tour these days? Well, not, not a lot lately, but from now on, I've, been, I've made a commitment to him that I'm going to be, you know, coming along a lot more now, you know, to find a way that he can basically start to maximize his progress. When did you know that Michael was going to be a professional tennis player? I think I've always known, you know, his capabilities. You know, he's got the power, he's got the reach, he's got the talent. It's just a question of, you know, molding all the different elements, put them all together right. You know, I knew once the whole part is put together right, he will definitely make it. So right now, that's where we all, with Glenn and everyone, is now working together trying to make sure that that happens. So what's his, what are his strengths? We'll talk about his strengths and weaknesses. What are his strengths first? I think his strength is first, you know, he's physically able. You know, he's got, you know, forehand that is that could be really, really awesome. Uh, the backhand is really getting there as well. You know, right now, you know, he's versatile in all areas, but we still have to work on all of them. So we still have room for improvement. So we need to get them better. We need to get them more consistent, you know. If there's one area that needed more work than any, any of the others, what would it be? 
it probably uh, maybe volleys a little more to you know where he's able to like volley once and put it away. You know, uh, I think that's basically that, and also working on the defensive positions that are good. But we we need to convert the defensive into an offensive. Even when he's under pressure, convert that to an offensive play from whatever it is. You know, so those are the areas that we're going to be fine-tuning. And from sitting there and watching him win the Orange Bowl to now sitting out there, what, seven years later, I guess, um, seeing him at this level, Masters 1000, must be incredible. Absolutely incredible. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's something that, you know, you always, you know, dream and pray for your kid to do, you know. You watch, you watch the transition, the transformation, you know, from a little boy to a tall, whatever, not to a pro, you know. It's just amazing, simply amazing. And just finally, how, how high do you think Michael can go? What, what, is the sky the limit? Do you set targets? I, I think, I honestly believe, you know, with proper guidance from now on, you know, fine-tuning all the strokes, fine-tuning all the, the, the negative areas that we need to work on, he's got the potential to really go all the way. You know, and uh, he has that belief. He has, I believe that he's got the talent as well. If guys like, uh, you know, Batista could be top 20, why can't he be top 20? You know, so all the top, I mean, he's got whatever it takes to be there. We just have to work for it. We just have to make him believe that he has what it takes to be there. You know, I think it's now all about beliefs. Five places above Mo in ninth, just outside the qualifying cut, is Poland's Hubert Hurkacz. Last month in Cincinnati, he came through qualifying to reach his first Masters 1000 main draw. It's good. It's another step forward. I think it means to me a lot. So it's building my confidence. I'm very happy that I won today. It was a really tough match. So, yes, yeah, so obviously I'm looking forward for my next match. So you beat Ryan Harrison first. I think he was the number two seed in qualifying. And then the, the giant that is... Ivo Karlovic, what was it like facing that serve? Tell me. Yeah, I was trying to put some returns. Luckily, in, in the tiebreakers, I I made some, so so I was able to 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 win few points on his serve. So yeah, obviously he he played quite a few tiebreakers in his career. So <laughs> I think he has. Yeah, I'll take you back four months because it's been an incredible rise, really, the the last four months. But four months ago, you were in Budapest. Talk me through that moment and how important that was to reach the main draw in ATP for the first time. Uh, I withdraw from the challenger in uh, Uzbekistan because I was supposed to play there, but I hurt my arm a little bit, so so I was practicing for a uh, for a few weeks. So so I wasn't expecting much uh, coming to this tournament, but I played pretty good match against Baghdadi's first round of quality that was uh, a good win for me and the ne- next one against Thiago Monteiro after that uh, match I had quite a few chances against Sonego because I was 5-1 up in the tiebreaker I went for a for a good serve and then approached the net he was <laughs> he played a slice lob right in the <laughs> corner so I was like yeah five two done good a few good serves so <laughs> yeah I had some chances but yeah that was a tough loss <laughs> but since then your your tennis has gone from strength to strength your ranking has obviously gone up um, for, for those people who are listening who perhaps don't know much about you um, t- tell us about your game your strengths and weaknesses what, what are your really what are, your, what are the strong parts of your game I feel like my serve is getting stronger my forehand is, is getting bigger so I'm trying to build up my game on this on these shots and, wh- and what about the, the areas that you're still working on you? everything still working on everything so, so I'm trying to improve for yeah, as much as I can. So yeah, that's the the goal for me to improve like every aspect of my game, so I can become a better player. And Polish tennis, in in terms of the number of Polish players in the top 100, I don't think there is one at the moment. Obviously, there's Lukasz Kubot in, in doubles, um, uh, Jerzy Janowicz, who who is coming back from his injury. But you're really, I think, you're the highest ranked Polish player at the moment. Yeah, I mean that's 
that's from one side it's good but the other it's not that good because obviously I want many Polish players to be at the top 100 but hopefully I will make it and soon after Kamil Majszak the other Polish guy in top 200 he'll he'll make some better results and yeah and obviously I'm hoping that many younger Polish players then will improve that game, their game and start to, to believe more that they can do it. And just finally, you're in the race to Milan, next gen. Um, how much is that in the back of your mind? How important would that be this season to try and get there? Yeah, obviously I'm trying to get there, but you just need to, to win a few matches and yeah, play, play good, good tournaments, improve your game and then there might be a chance of getting in there. For a while now, Kevin Anderson has been the only South African at the top of the game, but recently joining him in the world's top 200, currently at 131, has been Lloyd Harris. Matt Brown managed to find out a little bit more about the giant 21-year-old from Cape Town. I like to play a lot with my serve, uh, forehand, looking, always looking for my forehand, looking to play aggressive, step in on the guy's serve, um, kind of uh, take time away from the opponent, try and move forward as I can. Um, yeah, I mean, I like really like to play aggressive, but always, uh, always looking to improve on my game, the defensive side and some other aspects as well. Who, as a young fella, did you sort of admire and look up to, and and maybe uh, want to emulate uh, as a kid growing up? Um, since I was really long, young, I really uh, enjoyed watching Roger. Always, I mean, I think he's the the best uh, player to copy, to imitate. Uh, you know, best role model for all players. So I think that's kind of always been uh, the one for me. But uh, I've come to enjoy uh, watching a lot of Stan's tennis as well. I mean, both the Swiss guys. I, I really enjoy his game, the aggressive style that he plays, um, big serve, big forehand as well. And yeah, I'd imagine just being around the locker room with these guys like Roger Federer. I mean, do you do you have the confidence to go up and introduce yourself to a player like Roger? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have a problem with that. Uh, I mean, I've seen them around at a lot of junior grand slams and stuff like that, so I have met almost all the players. So it's not that different coming from a, that background in juniors, so that helped quite a bit. Um, but, yeah, it's quite uh, quite intimidating having all of these players around, yeah. And two, being just from where you are and obviously family, friends, uh, it's an important part of tour life when you get those small opportunities to get home. Uh, you've got to build that into your schedule because as much as you have to work hard on court, uh, the mental side of it, I guess, requires breaks from time to time too. So do you see that as pretty important, especially coming from so far away for just about all your tournaments? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really a tricky one because um, heading back to Cape Town, it's not only it's good for the mind and it's good for everything, but it's actually hard in the body as well, like travelling so far and long distances to get back. Um, if you're going only for one week, it's is it worth it? Is it not? Uh, mentally, it's really good to be around home, being around friends. But sometimes it's better, you know, just to rest somewhere else and try and take a, a nice uh, breather inside of Europe or wherever I am at that time. So let's talk about tennis in South Africa at the moment. Uh, are there a lot of players uh, playing? I mean, there's high participation rates. Are there, are there academies? Uh, and, and tell us a little bit about where you've based yourself and how you've got to this stage. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of juniors and a lot of players in South Africa. Um, not as many that has come through as we would have liked, that's for sure. But uh, I think there is a very good uh, very good amount of juniors that it's always coming through the ranks. The only problem is kind of transitioning onto the professional tour. Um, and I think that's the biggest problem us as South Africans have is financially traveling the distance and not getting sponsorships and stuff like that. So a lot of South Africans um, intend to uh, go into the college route. And that's kind of why the players are not coming through from South Africa. What about the facilities, um, the resources that you have, say in Cape Town, for example, where you're from, uh, in terms of the courts? Are there a lot of clay courts? Uh, are there all hard courts? Uh, yeah, so in, in, in Cape Town where I train, uh, I train at the Anthony Harris Tennis Academy. Um, we only have four courts, uh, three, three hard courts, and we recently, about two years ago, we built a synthetic clay court. Um, and that's one of the only clay courts that would, you would find in South Africa almost. There is no clay courts out there. 
Um, so literally the guys are only playing hard outdoor. There's also no indoor facilities throughout the country. So really the South Africans are just used to like pretty f- relatively fast outdoor hard courts. Which, talking to just about everybody involved in the game, is not the ideal way to be schooled in the game. You want to be introduced to clay court tennis quite young because that's where you, you have to rally for a long time. Physically you have to work extremely hard too, don't you? Yes, for sure. And I think that's a, it's also like a kind of a mindset, you know, to be staying in the rally and stuff. And I feel like that's where some South Africans has had a problem in the past. And also with South African having so much altitude tenets, um, that's also a big influence because, I mean, over there, the, the rallies doesn't pass three, three balls, four balls maximum. It's just about serving, returning and getting the ball in play and points are really fast. And with the game as it is these days and the courts as slow as they are, I think uh, it's not the ideal situation for sure. The, I know there used to be an ATP event, a tournament, a full tour event in Johannesburg. And uh, what about the sorts of tournaments for the young kids there? Are there is, are there enough futures events in the Southern Africa region? Uh, you know, challenger tournaments. There is no challenger tournaments in Southern Africa at the moment. There is a few futures. We have three in South Africa, and uh, other than that, we have a few around us in Mozambique and Zimbabwe. But I mean. In the southern African region, we maybe have six or seven tournaments. And at this stage of my career, they are absolutely no benefit to me to progress from where I am right now. So it's really tough for a player that's kind of looking to go the next level. You, I can't play really anything um, near my home. And in a country which is dominated by football and rugby, uh, in terms of uh, the sports that the, the fans, the population, are really support, there's nothing like having a role model, isn't there, to, to inspire kids to, to take up a sport like tennis. And I guess that's something that you really would, would like to be. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I would love to um, you know, get the name of tennis out there in the country. Um, I think there's so many famous cricketers, uh, rugby players, golfers in, in the country and uh, very well respected but I feel like tennis is kind of under the radar people don't know so much about tennis and South African players in general and I think if there's so many tennis players if you can just make the sport a little bit more popular make put some more money into it I think I would love to be that person that can do that for my country Kasparud's fairy tale run in Rio continues it has been a week of firsts, initially a first ATP victory, then a first ATP quarter-final, and now his very first semi-final on the ATP World Tour. Last but by no means least, in 2017, Norway's Kasper Ruud powered his way to the Rio semi-finals at ATP 500 level in only his third tour-level event. In 2018, it's been all about consolidating that early success. This year has been a bit more about playing good tournaments and good weeks, like many weeks in a row. You know, last year I felt, you know, I had some really, really good weeks, especially in Rio where I made semis and almost made it to the final. And, you know, I got a lot of points there, but then maybe I lost four or five first rounds after and it was a bit too much up and down, I felt like. You know, I felt like I had the potential and big game inside of me, but I wasn't stable enough throughout many weeks in a row. And uh, I've been doing that better, I felt, feel, this year. Of course, I'm happy and proud with those results, but you always want to go for more, and that's what this year has been about, to try to go for more and also a good week after a good week. In July, at the Ski Star Swedish Open, the 19-year-old faced David Ferrer for a place in the quarterfinals. Close to home, he had lots of support. It's very close to where I'm from, Oslo, and that is a lot of Norwegian people. And people like to come down to take a look at some tennis, and I'm pretty sure also this year when I'm playing, I'm the only one from Norway. So maybe I can use the Norwegian crowd as my, uh, my secret weapon and uh, an extra motivation. And, uh, you know, may the best player win, as we say. And on the day, he made more headlines, defeating Ferrer in two sets. His run was eventually halted by Richard Gasquet, but a quarter-final finish may be crucial in his quest to reach the next-gen ATP Finals. I was watching on TV all the matches, and I thought it was a good concept and good uh, setup. Uh, it was a lot of tight matches, and it's a bit more like anything can happen, and it's more open, I think, and it was a lot of fun to watch. 
think it's one of the goals this year to be able to get there. It proves that you have done good throughout the whole year. It will be tough to get there, but I will try my best. And you know, suddenly you get like a very good week and you get some a lot of points in an ATP event or some things like this can happen. So you know, you're always hoping for that week and trying your best to get the good results. But hopefully I'll get there. But of course, no certain thing I'll get there. It's a lot of good players and I'm uh, not even in the cut yet. So, so we will see. Kasper Rude, a young man with a bright future who's managing to have some fun along the way. I get this question a lot, you know, when I'm back home, if I'm, I really enjoy it, if I really like it, and I usually just say that having way much fun here than you guys, I can't complain about anything. You know, all my friends are working in an office, so, you know, I'm having a lot of fun and I get to do what, what I love the most. You meet a lot of new people and players every week, so it's an amazing tour we have and an amazing experience for young players. That is it for this week. One month out from the cutoff for the ATP Next Gen Finals. Remember, you can keep right across the race to Milan, not to mention the race to London, of course, in the rankings section on atpworldtour.com. Remember, you can also listen to ATP Tennis Radio 24-7 by clicking on the listen icon at the top of the ATP World Tour website or direct through TuneIn, the website or the app where you can also find this podcast along with our exclusives channel giving you all the best interviews from throughout the year. Well worth a look. Join us on the podcast next week, building up to the Asian swing. And if you like the podcast, please go to our iTunes page and leave us a review. In the meantime, we'll leave you with some of the most exciting talents in the game, all in the race to Milan. Championship point number three for Hyun Chung. Deciding point. Serves to the backhand of Rublev. Hits it up. Chung puts it away. I would love to play there, and yeah, it would be my dream. It's a nice place to try out all those rule changes and just be creative with uh, different things we can implement to tennis. It's really short and fast paced with the short sets, no ad scoring, so every point really counts out there. The new rules uh, they were amazing. They was just made the, the whole game more exciting. The fans were really into it, and uh, the game has completely changed. It's crazy how um, how strong it's been, and I think it's it's good. And it's you know maybe the the competition of the next gen finals is pushing us forward and making us uh, compete harder, and maybe just you know puts more on the uh, on the line for us and more to uh, compete for. Us. All the match, you're completely intense. You're feeling just one shot can change everything. I think we can do it, and and we are on the way. If I keep on playing my game, who, who God knows what 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 can happen in the future. <laughs>